0: We can't be contained, because this spring at Nine West, we are infinite. Buy now and get 15% off with code PODCAST24.
1: Your body is unique, so why would you settle for a weight loss plan that's one size fits all? Noom is the weight management program that takes into account your biology to build a custom plan just for you. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com and check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. From The Cut and Gimlet Media, this is The Cut
2: on Tuesdays. I'm your host, Molly Fisher. Play right.
0: There was never a point in my life where I didn't want a child. Growing up in a large Mexican family, it's kind of understood that, you know, when you get married, you have children, your children have children, and that's kind of the circle of life kind of thing.
2: This is Marie. Back in the 1970s, she and her husband wanted to have a baby. And so we tried. They tried for a long time but it wasn't happening. Then Marie heard about a procedure that was just starting to get popular, a procedure designed to help people like her and her husband. So she gathered up her courage, walked into her doctor's office, and here's what she said. Um, I heard about this thing where, um,
0: they use sperm from a donor so women can get pregnant. Do you know anything about that? That, that would have been
2: about the speed, and then I would have shut up and just turned bright red and sweated all over the place. <laughs> her doctor said he could help. He told her he would use sperm from a medical student to get her pregnant. By 1978, Marie had a new baby girl and
3: a new secret. Who did you talk to about what was going on? No one. Absolutely no one. Why?
0: You didn't talk about those things then. I mean, it was very personal. I mean, my mother didn't even know.
2: Marie was part of the first big wave of women who used donor sperm to get pregnant. And most of these women were given the same advice. Keep it to yourself. No one needs to know, especially not your kid. But then came DNA testing. By now you probably know someone who ordered a kit from 23andMe, spit in a tube, and discovered a surprise uncle in Cincinnati. But when a sperm donor is involved, the surprises multiply. And what's surprising isn't just the numbers, though the numbers can be wild. It's the new relationships you have to invent when strangers become family. And what if you don't like your new sister? What if she doesn't like you? At what point in your delicate just-getting-to-know-each-other relationship is it appropriate to ask for her comprehensive medical history? No one knows quite how to handle it all, but today's donor families are on the front lines finding out. Our reporter Sarah McVee got interested in all this, and she talked to a couple families at different stages of discovery and confusion. She's going to
3: introduce us to the first family. The baby Marie had is now a grown-up. I'm Shauna Harrison. I'm 41 years old. Shauna was raised an only child, not knowing she was donor-conceived. When she was in college, her mum finally decided to tell her the truth after she started asking questions about her dad's health history. Shauna says she wasn't upset, just kind of stunned. It was actually on Father's Day weekend, and so she called her dad, the man who'd raised her.
4: I don't even remember what I said, but something like, Mom told me, you know, that you're not my biological dad, but, like, you're always going to be my dad, you know, and also Happy Father's Day.
3: (laughs) Which, you know, Hallmark doesn't make that card. The news hadn't changed how she felt about her family, but it did raise some questions. In 2013, Shauna went on 23andMe. She just wanted to understand what her donor might have passed on to her.
4: I just really wanted to know, like, where where is he from? And, you know,
3: is does cancer run in his family? Or, you know, like anything like that. It was the early days of 23andMe, and Shauna didn't find out much at all. But a few years later, she logged back into the site, and she got a whole lot of news she wasn't expecting. And so I opened it
4: up, and I look, and I'm like... Potential half brother, potential half sister, potential half sister, potential half brother. And it just kept going, and I was like, huh.
5: I'm Ben. So, I'm Steven
6: Basorti. Hi, I'm Susan. Um, So, I'm Jody Hale. My name is Jacob. I'm 40 years old. Um, I'm 40 years old. I'm 41 years old. Um, I'm 41 now. I am 26 years old. I am number two, birth order-wise.
1: I believe I'm the third oldest. And I believe I'm the fifth oldest. And I live in San Francisco, and I'm the second youngest of 30 siblings that we know of so far.
4: Susan, Jody, yeah. Stephen, Ben, Janet, Janelle, Priscilla, um, Matt, Hannah, Jacob, Marissa, uh, Raiden, Joe, Fritz. Ooh, there's just some new ones. Sheena, I think. Heather. Uh, uh, yeah, Natalie, Natalie, Jessica.
3: Um, who am I forgetting? Someone in LA. Shauna was suddenly part of this rapidly growing family of half-siblings, a crew big enough to contain two Natalies. At last count, the number of siblings they know about is 32, ranging from 25 years old to 41 years old. One of the eldest siblings, Stephen, is the group's unofficial welcoming committee. He'd known he was donor-conceived since he was a child, and so the discovery of a few half-siblings when he joined 23andMe wasn't particularly shocking to him. But as the group grew, he noticed his newly discovered half-siblings would sometimes take the news hard. And so he took it on himself to send them these gentle emails, initiating them into their giant new family. And so I get on the phone with Stephen and he starts explaining to me that there's a group
4: of um, you know, we're all from the Bay Area, we were all told the same thing about the Stanford med student and I was like, "Oh my god, this is real. This is real." And, you know, then he like puts me in the Facebook group and I start getting all these messages from all these siblings. And I was like, whoa, like what's happening? This is too much.
3: (laughs) Shauna had been an only child and she loved it. She told me she'd never wanted siblings. But as she scrolled through the photos of these people that looked like her, some of them the same age as her, she was curious and she wanted to see them in person.
4: I think it was only like a week or two later, I met one of the siblings and that was like my first interaction with a sibling. And I just remember being like, what do you wear to meet your sibling? Like what, (laughs) what do you do? How does this work? Like you go to meet someone that you're biologically related to that you've never met in your life. That's like the same age as you. And like this whole thing is so crazy. And, you know, we we sat down and I was, you know, looking at her and, you know, we basically just, like, kind of told our stories about how we found out and, like, whatever. But I just could not stop looking at her face because I was like, oh, my God, your mouth moves like my mouth moves. I feel like I'm looking at my sister because I'm looking at my sister.
6: So Shauna and I are two or two and a half weeks apart in age. That's Jodie Hale, one of Shauna's half-sisters. And then Stephen and Ben are also born in the same year as we are, and they're two days apart. So we call each other turkey baster or twins or sample sisters.
3: Yeah, I was going to ask, like, <laughs> yeah. is that, like, the same batch? Is that a rude that's thing what to we ask. assume.
6: No, and that's what we assume. Because we're going, you know, how many of us are there? How many batches were there? Like, how long did this go on? Our age range is vast. So there could be a lot more that fill in. Like, we wouldn't be surprised if we end up in triple digits at all.
3: While we were talking, Jody's phone kept buzzing. She'd keep looking out the side of her eye to see who was messaging her. She said that whenever it goes off now, she wonders if it's going to be a new sibling added to the group.
6: If you look at my phone, it's like all of these texts. There's like group texts, individual texts, and it's probably 10 or 12 of them are all siblings, like different groups and different individual ones and...
3: Do you have time for friends anymore?
6: Hardly. It seems like, I mean, I've had some friends go, you know, I haven't seen you. Because for a while, you know, we'll get three new ones in a couple of weeks. And it's, you know, you're spending once a week, like, you're going to dinner with someone to meet them. Or you're talking to them a lot. Or you're, you know, I like if I'm dating someone, it's like, well, how quickly do I tell them that? Because I spend a lot of time doing this.
3: When I visited the siblings, they were gathered at Shauna's house. They acted like they'd grown up together. They were teasing each other and finishing each other's sentences. And they described these big get-togethers, having barbecues and watching football games together. It sounded idyllic. Two of the brothers I met, Ben and Jacob, looked exactly the same as each other, except Ben is 20 years older. When Jacob, who's 24, visited Ben and his wife at their house, she said it was like seeing her college boyfriend walk through the door. Like she'd slipped back to a time before her and Ben had grown up, got married and had kids. Jacob says his older siblings give him a kind of blueprint for how his life might turn out. But depending on how you found out you were donor-conceived and what your relationship is like with the family you grew up with, you'll come to the group with different expectations, different hopes and baggage.
7: I wasn't expecting it, Um, let's put it that way.
3: Susan Price was raised in a family that didn't talk about their feelings, much less sperm. She grew up with her mum and dad and a sister. They never gave her any reason at all to question where she came from. In 2014, on a lark, Susan decided to try 23andMe. Her friend had bought her a kit. They both knew they had Danish heritage and they joked that they might find out they were distant cousins. When she got her results back, linking her to this other massive family tree, she just thought they were wrong. I just thought that they'd mixed
7: up my sample. I thought this, this, none of this makes sense. This makes absolutely no sense with what I've been told my entire life. And so I actually contacted the company and said, look, this doesn't make any sense. And they re-ran my results and said it came back the same. And I thought, I'm still not buying this. So um, I bought Another kit and sent it in under a fake name, fake birthday, fake everything, and came back as my own identical twin. So that kind of, I guess, sealed the deal in that sense.
3: I called Twenty Three and Me. A woman who works the phones there told me that people like Susan call all the time. Sure, there's been some kind of mistake. The company has a whole team of people whose job it is to explain the science and gently suggest the person try talking to their family about what they've found. I can just see it, a whole room full of counsellors, phones ringing off the hook, like a kind of crisis call centre for the genetically confused.
7: I'm, I'm sure they were perfectly confident that the results were right and that I was just in a state of denial and... Yeah. Were you upset? I was upset that I had never been
3: told. The idea that you could keep this a secret goes back to those early days of sperm donation. But even now that it's become pretty clear that secrecy is impossible, clinics are still trading on that idea of anonymity. In America, sperm donation isn't regulated. A man can donate as much as he wants and for as long as he wants, and there's no federal system tracking him. Some states and some individual clinics have made their own rules. But there's no way of knowing for sure how many babies are born to a donor. And I do question, how appropriate is that really?
7: I mean, natural families can't have, you know, dozens and dozens or hundreds of children. So when, when there's no regulation about how many offspring someone can have... You do increase the likelihood for, you know, siblings or half-siblings to meet each other and really get along well and start dating and get married and have children.
3: I married the man of my dreams, but he turned out to be my brother is the kind of headline tabloid editors must dream of. And even though these cases are super rare, both Susan and Jody described this very particular feeling as they scrolled through all their half-siblings on 23 and Me. I just went... Okay, deep breath. Like,
6: didn't date him, didn't date him, didn't date him, didn't date him. Great.
3: A lot of the siblings have been unknowingly orbiting each other their whole lives. Most of them grew up in the Bay Area, and they were almost all nerdy kids who loved maths. Four of them went to the same university at the same time, and of those four, two of them were good mates who worked out together at the gym. They had no idea they were brothers until they both rocked up at a family picnic years later.
6: A bunch of us have Niner tickets, like season tickets, and I'm sure we all walked by each other a million times. Like, Stephen and Ben's are, I think, like one section apart. Fritz has um, another section or two apart. Like, it's just—and now, you know, anywhere you go, you kind of wonder, like, does that person look like me? Are they potentially another sibling? Should I ask them if they've done their DNA test? <laughs> a whole stadium of siblings. <laughs> well, it's going to get to where we could just fill a stadium.
2: Jody and her siblings were all conceived within this brief window when sperm donation was mainstream, but DNA testing wasn't yet available. Secrecy seemed like an option. But today, when parents choose to conceive with a donor, they know that eventually their kid can go looking for answers. So it's not a question of if they should tell him about their origins, it's a question of when. And as Sarah was working on this story, she talked to a woman named Jenny. Jenny's a mom who's found herself facing that question of when to tell a lot sooner than she ever expected.
8: When I met my partner, or my future wife, uh, I was around 39 years old, and I had no interest in having children. And my wife did, I realized, on the second date. So as soon as she said, you know, we shouldn't move farther if you don't want to have children, I immediately said, oh, I do want to have children. So, uh, because I knew that uh, that she was uh, the one. That sounded really cheesy, but I'll just repeat that and say I know that her and I are going to have a nice journey together. So we both agreed that,
2: you know, when we got married, we were going to have uh, children. For Jenny and her wife, that meant using a sperm donor. They decided to try the California Cryobank. It was popular with other lesbian couples they knew. On the Cryobank website, there were hundreds of profiles. Each one included pictures of the donor as a baby, accompanied by a little vial icon to show how much sperm remained.
8: So when we were able to click into the the donors, we were able to see their health records back all the way, a couple generations, and listen um, to or see something that they have prepared for
2: future parents. Browsing donor profiles sort of forces you to approach parenthood like online dating or shopping. They say things like, Donor 14079's hazel eyes and long eyelashes may grab your attention, but he steals the spotlight with his witty stand-up comedy. Or Donor 15517 may have to design a shelf big enough to display all four of his college degrees. And while you don't get to see what the donors look like as adults, you do get to hear interviews that the cryobank conducted with all the men.
1: Good morning. I'm at the California Cryobank with Donor 15460. Good morning.
8: They were all female interviewers, and they would get giddy when when they were handsome. So we we learned we learned to figure out if they were good looking or not.
2: How's it going?
9: (laughs) I'm doing good. How are you?
2: Good. I'm doing fine. Thanks for asking. What would you say your to be clear? This isn't Jenny's donor. This is a guy advertised on the site as a big-hearted baseball star. Um, So I wanted to ask you about your childhood. Um, How was it growing up with your
9: siblings, and uh, what did you guys like to do? Um, Well, I grew up with my two sisters and my brother. Um, I was really close with both of my sisters. We would do pretty much everything together. We ended up going to the pool every day together. Listening
2: to these interviews is like eavesdropping on the world's weirdest first date. There's just barely enough banter to veil the subtext, which is, hey there, how's that genetic material of yours? On a scale of one to dad, what kind of man would you say you are? The
9: dad would take the, the boys out and go, Shooting and riding Mm -hmm. and stuff like that, but we would take the dirt bikes out and the guns and just have a day.
7: Yeah, just kind of uh, spend some time with your dad day.
9: That's
5: cool. That's
2: cool. Jenny and her wife spent a weekend sifting through profiles.
8: I think as the person not carrying when you're a lesbian, you want it to look like you, which in hindsight just looks ridiculous. (laughs) That sounds ridiculous to me. And we found somebody that has... Brown hair, brown eyes. His baby pictures looked a lot like me when I was little, Uh, like a very blonde when he was young, and then brown hair when he was older. He was 5'11", 175, and we just thought he, because he had the same background um, uh, as me, that he might take on more of my characteristics to complement hers.
2: As a baby, he looked a little like Jenny. And they were told that as an adult, he looked like a hot man.
8: They give you celebrity mixes, and they said he was a Jude
2: Law-Liam Hemsworth mix. Their donor had written a poem as part of his profile. Jenny didn't think the poem was especially good, but she appreciated the effort. He seemed sensitive. They were ready to proceed to check out. It was 100% online. The only time
8: we went to the clinic was to pick up our big canister of sperm.
2: I'll tell you, we were so
8: excited when we started. By the time— It took us a year and a half to conceive. We weren't so excited, but I still have a picture of that canister in the back seat with a seatbelt.
2: The contents of that canister eventually allowed them to have their beloved child. They were a family. They went to parties with other families. And one day, at one party, they found themselves in the backyard talking to the other lesbian couple in attendance. They
8: had just moved um, to California, and they had moved
2: two blocks away from us, and they seemed awesome. They got along right away, and the other couple had a kid who was a year younger than theirs. So, naturally, they decided a play date was in order.
8: We had invited them to our house for some wine. And in the lesbian community a lot, you you joke about what is your donor number, and you throw it out. And we were joking that our kids looked so much alike that um, I mean, a lot alike. like, <laughs> on her phone, Jenny had saved a screenshot of their donor's profile, and so I brought it up on my phone and said, "Is this your donor?" Really joking, thinking there's no way in that it would be, and my 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 new friend <laughs> pretty much lost it, and was we had just met these people and realized that they share the same donor, and. It was really, really freaky and thinking, how does that happen with someone that just moved two streets down from me that is in my circle of friends, and they are brothers?
2: This was not part of the plan when Jenny and her wife brought their canister of sperm home to start a family.
8: I actually thought it was like a one, literally a one in like thousand or million chance it could happen, considering that there's the bank, says they only give up to 25 family units around the world. And that means that if you just guess that 25 family units have on an average of two children, that's 50 siblings
2: around the world. Okay, Jenny thought. This is a crazy fluke. There is no way this is going to happen again. And then it did. That's coming up after the break.
0: We can't be contained because this spring at Nine West, we are infinite. Buy now and get 15% off with code PODCAST24.
1: Most weight loss programs focus on restriction and inflexible routine, which is why most diets fail. But Noom isn't a diet. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com and check out Noom's first-ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent,
5: you want your child to have every opportunity— van 29com
2: Welcome back. On today's episode, we're talking to families who are navigating uncharted territory, where sperm donation meets genetic testing meets social media. Jenny and her wife were hosting a casual playdate when they discovered their son's new friend was actually his half-brother. Both sets of parents were shocked. But they all got along, and they figured this was just a crazy coincidence
8: and a year
2: after that it was last
8: summer with someone actually that i've known for years she joked to me you and your look alike son <laughs> and i my face dropped and was like her son does look a lot like my son
2: once again jenny pulled out the screenshot of her donor's profile and once again she watched the flash of recognition appear on another mom's face Surely this was the last time she'd experienced such a crazy, crazy coincidence. And then I got a text that said, Found another. This time it was that first couple she'd met, her neighbors in California, who made the discovery. They'd had some coworkers over for dinner and got to talking about how similar their sons looked.
8: And they confirmed that our sons have another sibling living in New York that's five years old and has the same curly hair (laughs) and blue eyes.
3: Whoa! Now do you think it will happen again?
8: Yes. And I'm terrified.
2: Jenny has found herself wondering what it is she has in common with these other people. It's almost like she's looking for a family resemblance, not just between the sons, but between herself and the other parents.
8: What is so similar about the three of us, my friends, that we all chose the same person? Um, And is it because we're all very similar and because we live in, you know, I don't know, larger cities, we all have similar type jobs, we're friends, so we're similar people. Um, And so do we all just choose the
2: same person? So far, she'd found three other families with look-alike sons just in her immediate social circle. Now she was confronting the question of how many more there might be in the wider world. I walk down the street here, and I'm like, oh my God, is that, is that, is that, is that him too? He looks just like my son. Really, though, she didn't have to wait for more half-brothers and sisters to cross her path by coincidence. She knew exactly where she could find them.
8: If you actually search the donor number on Facebook, there's a group for him.
9: I would say I'm definitely um, a more enthusiastic member of the group. This is Julie, the woman who runs that Facebook group. Years ago, Julie got
2: frustrated with dating and decided to use a donor to have a child on her own. She sees the group as more than just a
9: way to keep track of her daughter's half-siblings. For her, it's a kind of community. I think I made a joke one time uh, about um, the moms that we were all um, like sister moms, (laughs) as opposed to like sister wives. And I thought that was kind of funny because it kind of feels like that. You know, we're kind of all in this together together. Julie posts regularly
2: on the group's page, comments on photos of everyone's kids, and arranges an annual Christmas gift exchange.
3: Have you had anyone sort of respond negatively to the outreach?
9: Uh, Not negatively, but just sort of um, disappear. So the very first woman, actually, I contacted uh, wrote to me a couple of times, and then uh, I was planning a trip uh, to New York where she lived, and I emailed her and asked if we can meet and then I just never heard back. And I've emailed her a few times since and have never heard back. So that's, that makes me a little bit sad. Um, I hope that she, uh, comes back.
3: Yeah. And so at what point do you go, okay, I've emailed this
9: person enough? Oh, I mean, I think I'm there. I think I, you know, I'm, I'm I'm there. I, you know, she knows how to reach me. Um, You know, I might just once a year send a holiday hello um, just to stay connected. After we started
2: talking to Jenny about what she was going through, she decided she wanted to join Julie's Facebook group. She sent a request, and Julie let her in right away. The two of them got on the phone and talked for
9: hours. Jenny told her about the other families she'd found. And I, you know, I asked her if she would put me in touch with these two other families that she knows, and uh, so I'm, I'm waiting for her uh, to do that. I just want to be connected to them. Like, I just want to know who they are and who their children are and um, um, be able to kind of keep track of everybody. Why is that so important to you, do you think? I think, you know, to know who you're connected to and to know who you share DNA with... Um, can make you feel a part of uh, a larger community. And um, I, you know, I just want to have that available to my daughter if she wants it. I don't know. Am I overcompensating? Um,
2: I don't know. For Julie, it's a no-brainer to go looking for these connections. She doesn't understand why anyone wouldn't want to sign up for the group and start talking to other families right away.
9: Every time I hear that someone hasn't reported the birth... I just kind of wonder why. It just confuses me um, why they wouldn't want to to be connected.
8: What does that mean to be connected to them? Does that mean that I have to be friends with them? Does that mean that I should, like, have our son meet them because it's, it's the right thing to do? Is it? I don't know. I don't know, and I think that, I mean, the fear that I have is that That somebody is going to cross boundaries with me, uh, and my son and my wife. Like, where is the bound? I mean, where is the boundary? Is it meeting once a year for a picnic, (laughs) or is it traveling together? And that's what I want to figure out on my own time. But I don't want someone just showing up in New York and being like, "Hey, I'm here. Can I see you?" And your son? Yeah, and your son, who happens to be a sibling of my kid. And then what if you don't like them? (laughs) I think that's another thing. It's It's like, are these people in your life, or are they supposed to
2: be in your life for the rest of your life? Jenny and her family are still figuring it all out. They don't know what's going to happen with all the other families they've met, much less the whole Facebook group. But they've become close with that first couple they met at the party. They've all gone on vacation together, and their kids are friends.
3: When are you going to tell him that his friends are actually his brothers?
8: I don't know. We want everyone to feel comfortable. I think we've decided that we do want to tell them. I would guess it would be when they're a little older, maybe junior high, I'm guessing, high school.
3: So they're going to have been friends their whole life and then find out that they're brothers.
8: Yeah, now that you say that, it might make sense to say it a little earlier. <laughs> I don't know. I just, like, feel like we should hold off a little bit because it's just so weird Um because I don't know how he'll react.
2: Science has helped make families like Jenny's a reality. It's also created an overwhelming number of decisions, the kind of decisions where you can't just fall back on the way things have always been done. It's a lot. Usually, when you say you're pro-choice, you're not thinking about quite this many choices. After Jenny and her wife brought home that big canister of sperm, there were still a lot of choices left to make. They had five viable embryos, four boys and a girl. Jenny says she chose the fattest one, and eventually that became their son. The others are still on ice, waiting.
8: They're like six-day-old embryos. So they're not considered babies yet. But And again, I'm pro-choice. I just want to say that very loud. I'm very pro-choice. But this one's hit me a little differently, like, hey, those could be my son's brother. And my wife sees them as cells in a dish.
3: Are you paying to keep them on ice? Yeah, we're paying to keep them on ice. (laughs)
8: I have a hard time getting rid of them, even if we're not, even if we're not going to use them. And I feel like we should give them to somebody that's having, or even a friend, that can't conceive. (laughs) Because we do have some lesbian couple friends who are struggling to have a baby, and we've had some that have struggled and have adopted. So my immediate thought is like, let's give it to our friends, and then he can have a brother.
3: Yeah, Uh, full brother.
8: Yeah, full brother. but. My wife feels weird about, like, that's her child, even though it's friends. So it's, it's really—but I've realized it's really complicated, and there's a lot of emotion wrapped around this. I think in the beginning we're like, hey, just get a sperm, and now all, all of a sudden we realize the emotion around it, the emotion of leaving still vials of embryos frozen, and then also just the siblings that have come out of this and probably
2: are to come. That's it for this week's show. We'll see you next Tuesday. And you may have seen last week on The Cut a story about a friendship between Instagram influencer Caroline Calloway and a woman named Natalie Beach. It was a friendship that was both toxic and intoxicating. And a lot of people who read the article felt a cringe of recognition. A lot of us have had a friend who we knew was bad news, but we just couldn't resist. If you've had a friend like that, we want to hear from you. Give us a call at 920 368 3341 and leave us some details. We'll call you back. Play right, play right. The Cut on Tuesdays is produced by Sarah McVee and Olivia Knatt. Our senior producer is Kimmy Regler. We're edited by Lynn Levy and Stella Bugby. Special thanks to Lindsay Grove, Christine Pye, Dr. Jamie Shamanke, and Jillian Small. Mixing is by Emma Munger and Bobby Lord. Our music is by Haley Shaw, Emma Munger, and Peter Leonard. Our theme song is Play It Right by Sylvan Esso. The Cut on Tuesdays is a production of Gimlet Media and The Cut. And if you like great stories, like the ones we tell on this podcast, check out One Great Story. It's a new newsletter from New York Magazine featuring one story per day from New York Magazine or The Cut or one of our sister sites. You can sign up at nymag.com slash OGS. That's nymag.com slash OGS.